Hello again everyone and welcome back to The InDesigner, the video cast that provides information, instruction and insight for designers using and learning Adobe InDesign. I'm your host Michael Murphy, graphic designer and Adobe certified expert in InDesign CS3. And this is episode 48, Open Type Features. I recently spoke at the InDesign conference in Miami where I did a typography session that was supposed to include information about open type fonts and what you can do with them. Unfortunately, an unexpected blackout and some poor timing on my part prevented me from including that in the presentation. So I've taken those examples and turned them into this podcast episode so that everyone can benefit from them whether they were at the conference or not. Before we can talk about open type features, we need to know how to access them. As with most InDesign features, there are at least three ways of doing this. When the type tool is active, the context menu at the end of the control panel has an open type submenu as its very first item. There, you'll find a list of every possible open type feature available for any typeface. We're not going to cover everything here, but we'll look at the major open type features you'll want to know about. Notice that some of these items are surrounded in brackets. When you see that, it means that that particular feature is unavailable in the selected typeface. Not all OpenType fonts take advantage of or require every possible option, so you're bound to see one or more options in brackets when working with OpenType fonts in InDesign. In the Character panel, the exact same options are available from the Panel menu, so that's a second way to access these features. Also, when you're creating or editing a paragraph style, there's an open type features option where all of this is available as checkboxes and pull-down menus. The same goes for creating or modifying character styles. That dialog box also has an open type features area, just like the paragraph style options dialog. Now that we know where everything is, let's take a look at what it all does. The first thing we'll look at is ligatures. A ligature is a character consisting of two or more joined letters where combining the letter forms solves a problem like two letters colliding together or it makes for a more pleasing and appealing presentation of specific letter combinations. Ligatures are not an open type specific feature. They're available in PostScript fonts too, but there are just fewer of them in that older type format. In this example, a PostScript font, ITC Stone Serif, is shown with its ligatures turned off. I'll zoom in on these words and keep an eye on the characters in red when I turn on ligatures. The F and the L have been combined into a ligature, as have the F and I, which no longer has a dot above it. As long as the letters are within a certain spacing tolerance, they'll maintain this appearance, but if I start making changes to the tracking and they get too far apart, they automatically return to the individual characters. As I restore the proper spacing, they snap back together. But if I go too far and get too tight, they appear as individual letters again. OpenType fonts typically contain many more standard ligatures, some of which are made up of three letters or pairs of upper and lowercase letters. Here, in Minion Pro, the FL ligature is here as well, but there's also an FF ligature, the three-letter FFI and FFL ligatures, and a TH ligature formed between the capital T and lowercase h. Another class of open-type ligatures is what's known as discretionary ligatures. These are ligatures you might use on rare occasions, but probably don't want turned on by default. For example, here in Minion Pro, the CT, ST, 
and SP pairs are combined by these little flourishes, which might be good for a formal invitation, but probably not for normal body copy. Most of the time you see ligatures explained, it's with examples like these, very traditional typefaces that embody classical typographic standards. However, there are some type designers out there doing some very cool things with OpenType's ligature options in some typefaces that you may want to be aware of when you're shopping around for fonts. This is a font called Shag Lounge from House Industries. The folks at House designed some gorgeous retro typefaces. The words shown here all have their open type features turned off, and I've colored red the letters that are going to be affected when I start turning some of these features on. First, I'll turn ligatures on, and take a look at the changes in the HT, NT, TW, and TM letter pairs. You may note that the A in red on the second line looks no different from the one in black above it, but if I go up to the open type menu and turn on another option, contextual alternates, look what happens. A different version of the letter A is automatically substituted because, contextually, this alternate A looks better next to the letter T because of the horizontal bar at the top of the T. With contextual alternates turned on, these letter form swap outs are done on the fly as InDesign looks at each pair of letters as you type them. If you're curious to see what possible alternates there might be for any character in an open type font, select the letter, then go to the type menu, choose glyphs, and in the glyphs panels show menu, choose alternates for selection. There you see every possible version of that glyph in the selected typeface. Now let's see what other cool uses this font's designers have made of another open type feature. Watch the four words in red at the bottom when I turn on discretionary ligatures. Check that out. These words have been turned into entirely new and unique multi-letter ligatures. They're all still made up of separate characters, as you can see when I select the word new. And if I delete just the exclamation point, it reverts back to a normal word automatically. But as soon as the new word is followed by an exclamation point, it gets converted into this funky retro ligature. The same goes for the words sale and yes. The great thing about this is that if you were to search for the word new followed by an exclamation point using find change, it finds both instances, because you haven't put in a custom character. And it would also find the two instances of and, sale, and yes. The word and here gets formed into this stacked arrangement, which is also fully editable. The one small problem here is that if I were to type the word sandwich, the AND part is still recognized and converted to the discretionary ligature. So that's a real strong case for keeping discretionary ligatures turned off, except when you know you specifically want to use it. Now let's take a look at figure styles, starting with tabular old style and tabular lining. First, let's explain the tabular part. Tabular figures each occupy the same amount of horizontal space, so that when they're stacked up in a column, they'll all line up. If you notice here, the 1s are the same width as the zeros, the 2s are the same width as the 9s, and so on down the line in any combination. As far as old-style figures versus lining figures, just remember that old-style figures have ascenders and descenders, and they're relative to the x height ascenders and descenders of the lowercase letters in that same typeface. 
Lining figures, on the other hand, are the height of the capital letters in that typeface. The other figure styles are proportional old style and proportional lining. Proportional figures have non-standard widths, so they will not line up uniformly. But old style figures still have ascenders and descenders, and lining figures are still the full height of the font's uppercase letters. Each open type font that has these alternate figure styles available in it also has what's called a default figure style, which is what's used automatically by the typeface. But you can change that at any point by turning on either the tabular old style, tabular lining, proportional old style, or proportional lining option from the open type menu. One of the main advantages of open type fonts over postscript fonts is the availability of true small caps. When you use the small caps button on a postscript font, all you get is a scaled down version of the font. In open type fonts, small caps are letter forms that are designed specifically to be used as small caps. So the weights, serifs, and appearance of the letters, capital or lower case, are all consistent. In this example, the top line is a postscript version of Garamond, and you can see the contrast between the capital letters and the faked small caps. The capitals look much heavier, and the rest of the letters look thin and weak by comparison. In the two examples below that, both open type fonts, look how consistent the small caps are with the full size capitals. These small caps have been designed to be small caps, so their thick and thin areas and their serifs all share the same appearance. Not all open type fonts include small caps. Sans serif fonts, like Myriad Pro here, aren't really appropriate typefaces for small caps. They just don't look right. You can see in the open type menu that all small caps is in brackets. That's pretty much a dead giveaway that small caps have not been built into a typeface. Small caps really don't look good in sans serif typefaces, so don't assume that just because you're using an open type font that it will produce real small caps when you press the small caps button. As you can see, in Myriad Pro, it produces the same mismatched small caps as a postscript font would. The same holds true for Shag Lounge here at the bottom. These are not real small caps, and they look awful. If the person who designed the typeface thinks small caps are a bad idea for it, you should probably respect that and not force them on the font just because you can. The last thing I want to demonstrate is something called titling alternates. Most text size fonts are designed to appear rather small, and the weight of the font is established accordingly. When a font is enlarged beyond a certain size, it can start to look heavier than it actually is. The line of text shown here looks perfectly well balanced, and not at all bold, but the enlarged capital T above it appears to be at least a semi-bold in weight, but it's not. It's the same as the text below, just bigger. To compensate for this optical heaviness, some typefaces are designed with something called titling alternates, an alternate version of the same font adjusted to reduce the heavy appearance created by sizing up a text-sized version. The second example on this page uses titling alternates for the sentence and in the enlarged cap. The difference is subtle, but significant. Let's take a look at just how different they are. I'll change this T from its default appearance by turning on titling alternates from the open type menu. Behind it in gray you can see its original weight and notice the difference. 
the serifs are shorter and sharper, and the thin portions of the letter forms have all been made even thinner in the titling alternate version. Let's see how this difference plays out in a more concrete example. This type is all set in Adobe Garamond Pro, but notice how the two larger words, tail and cities, appear heavier than the smaller words. Of course, some variation is inevitable because of the size difference, but it doesn't have to be this much. I'll make a copy of this text next to it, select the frames for tail and cities, and from the open type menu, turn on titling alternates. There's next to no spacing change, which is good, but look how much better those large words look alongside the smaller ones. They look like they belong together much more so than they do in the first version on the left. You might be tempted to use a bold weight for the smaller letters and a normal weight for the large ones, but that's not an ideal solution either, as bold faces are typically designed quite differently, and they're always going to look different. Titling alternates are a much more subtle option when they're available in an open type font. That's it for this episode. I'll be back in a few weeks with another episode, but before I go, I've got a few announcements. First, I'll be conducting an all-day seminar in Washington, D.C. on April 21st at the U.S. Navy Memorial Auditorium called Mastering Text and Type with InDesign CS3. This session covers core features and essential techniques designed to take people's InDesign text wrangling skills to power user level. A complete description of the event, along with pricing and registration information, is available on the blog at www.theindesigner.com on the Classes and Seminars page. Speaking of Washington, D.C., I'm also doing a presentation at the Washington, D.C. InDesign User Group meeting on April 30th. Go to indesignusergroup.com chapters slash Washington, D.C. for more information. I'm also continuing to teach my InDesign Masterclass for Designers through EEI Communications. The next session is on May 1st and 2nd in Silver Spring, Maryland. For a full schedule and to register for any of the upcoming two-day classes, go to theindesigner.com masterclass. Until next time, feel free to post your comments or questions about this or any other episode on the blog at theindesigner.com. Email me at info at theindesigner.com or look for me on AIM or iChat as The InDesigner. Until next time, this is Michael Murphy for The InDesigner Videocast. Thanks for watching.